That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Everyone's always like, yo, who's he talking about on the record? Who's the Nick player? I mean, I met people who talked about they wanted to kill themselves, and then they heard Biggie's music. Faye bought that nigga like a $12,000 ring at that time, and Charlie threw that shit out the window. So I, had to be, I was in the four seasons in the bushes like this, looking for shit. 26 years ago, we tragically lost one of the greatest music artists that ever lived. In the sphere of hip-hop, Christopher Wallace, AKA the Notorious B.I.G., is revered as one of the greatest of all time writer, rapper, and songwriters. A GOAT. His final body of work was the impeccable double album, Life After Death, a succession of infectious hit records and impossibly poignant rhymes that soared from certified diamond to iconic. 2022 marked the year that Life After Death turned 25, as well as the year that our dear friend Big Papa would have been 50 years old. I'm Angie Martinez, the voice of New York, and I spent five consecutive nights speaking with those who were closest to Biggie during the final 18 months of his life, in and out of the studio. The result is an eight-episode visual podcast fit for a king. Welcome to season one of Iconic Records. If ever there was a poll to inform which Life After Death song is the global favorite, there's a strong chance that the winner would be I Got a Story to Tell. Another writing masterclass. Big gives us action, juicy drama, character development, comedic wit, all wrapped in grade A lyricism. On episode seven, I Got a Story to Tell, producer Buck Wild discusses his classic collaboration while setting the table for a few of the best Biggie stories from Bones Malone, Too Short, DJ Premier, Baron Claiborne, and of course, Little C's. Yeah, Buck. Buck Wild, take one. What's it's poppin', flexing. Buck? Man, everything is cool. You know, I'm just here. I'm blessed to be here. Me too. Can you believe the anniversary of this is here? That this many years has passed since this album hit the world? Well, does that make you feel old? <laughs> no, nah, not really. It makes me feel it's it's a good time and a bad time. People don't know like he was such a good dude, mm-hmm. and it's like he had a lot. He ambitious, had a lot of plans. He would put people up on game, what they need to do, tell them how to improve themselves, and it's like mm-hmm. you know he was he was one of those people. Tell me about that with you. That like, what were your conversations like with him? Like he would always tell me. Um, you know, you make dope beats, but you don't make anything that I can rhyme to. It's like you have nothing that's my flavor. So why couldn't he rhyme to you? Because I feel like Big could rhyme on anything. 
Yeah, but it's like, you know, I guess most artists have a, a certain style. Um, just like Jay. Jay could rhyme to anything. But Big looks for specific things. When he did Life After Death, it was a specific vibe that he looked for. And I remember him calling me and telling me, like, yo, I'm officially working on my second album. I need some joints. I know you got what I need. Mm-hmm. Seas drove to New York. I met him. I gave him the tape. And it's like when Big got it, he listened. He's like, yo, now you cooking. You got everything I need. You got a lot of joints on here that I'm going to definitely want. And it's like the one beat that I thought he did pick was a beat that I have for the locks that they didn't use. Which was what? Did, what did that one end up becoming? Um, that ended up being a beat for Joe that made... It didn't make the album... Um, Don Carter G and it was called Make Shit Better mm. <laughs> and you know well, the sample didn't get cleared so that's cool because if he would have picked that it probably wouldn't have got cleared either Yeah. but um, when he picked the beat that he did that beat was originally for Foxy and Tone from Trackmasters picked it for her told her Jay-Z was going to rhyme to it and she was like I don't like it I'm not rhyming to that wow lucky you yeah, lucky me. I, I thought it was cool because, like, looking at it, Foxy was on fire too at the time. Though, yeah, like way. we, like we had the one beat for her that she didn't use either. That was a beat Queen Pen used for "Party in a Party." Me and SNS did the beat. Wow. I remember getting a call. It was like, "Yo, Big wants you to come and lay the beat," and I'm like, "Okay, which one is it?" So I call him to make sure, and it's like he played me the beat. I was like, "Oh wow, this is going to be kind of crazy," because I know him and Foxy was cool. They are in the same circles. So when um, I laid it, went to lay it, it's like he wasn't there. He came back another time, did the vocals with D-Dot. And then the next time I knew, he sent me the version of the song where it was just the rough. And I was like, wow, you know, this is crazy. But everybody in the studio is going crazy about it. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, what's so special about what they see? You didn't see it right away. I never see it right away, Ange. Really? We did Woe, and it's like, I thought it was just regular. My man was like, oh, this is going to be crazy. And I was like, you think people like it? He was like, <laughs> hell yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. Tomorrow's another studio session. Black Rob Woe is a <laughs> legend class. That could play at any party still. That's what we do. Yeah. Was the whole song recorded? The whole song was recorded except for the outro. Mm-hmm. And then we mixed that. And then I got a call saying that the sample wasn't clear. The sample was a guy called Andreas Volenweider. <laughs> I didn't even find that. Huh? You, what, what crate did you dig in to find that? Well, for me, I'm a person that's like, I've always had it where it's like, I didn't want to make beats to sound like nobody else. Mm. So me finding that, it actually was in a dollar record bin. And it's like, I thought it was interesting. It was a white dude with, you know, it wasn't an afro, but it was like real curly. And mm-hmm. and I was like, yo, let me just take a look. Then when I got the record home, I was like, oh, this is kind of dope. Like people would be like, yo, this sounds real prissy. Why would you sample this? It's got a different feel to it. Yeah. And then when this, when Big picked it, I was like, you want that? <laughs> <laughs> but why do you think, uh, just why, did, why couldn't they clear it? Oh, um, I don't know if he was religious or anything, but he was like, he don't want no rappers on his music. How dare you, sir? I hope he regrets that. He probably does now yeah. if he sees what it did. Yeah. But looking at it, it's like I've got hit with that a couple of times. So it's like after a while for me, it's like 
it be- I become numb to it. Oh, and it, went, it didn't clear? All right, we'll, f- we'll fix that. Clive Davis call. Clive Davis called who? The guy? Mm-hmm. He found him. They found him and Clive called and asked him to clear the sample. He was like, no way, Jose. Really? No job, Clive. They pulled out every stop to get this record cleared. So when Puff was like, all right, we'll get Chucky to um, replay it. He'll just take out some notes. Done. Done. I was like, we could have did that from the jump. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. And Big still liked it. He... Big loved the record, mm-hmm. you know, and to see it, like, just the vibe, it's like, I think for him, he was an artist that was, just like Pun, he would pick things that the average MC wouldn't pick. Mm. And when people would hear it, be like, yo, I had that beat. Like, Jay, Jay had the beat, Jay didn't pick it, but when I seen Jay, he's like, yo, why you ain't give me that beat Big gave me? I was like, yo, I gave it the hip hop. Yo, how we had that? You said you ain't like it. Uh, so when you so at the end of the, st- the song when you hear him like break that fourth wall and like tell him the story, well, well, we was in the studio and it's like he was like y'all just want to put something at the end of the song, and it's like it's him and D Rock and I think um, Gutta and the rest of them, mm-hmm. and they in the booth and they doing this and he's breaking the shit down and it's like when I'm hearing this it's like yo I'm seeing his genius. I'm like, yo, no one's ever did anything like this before. And it's like, I just threw my hat on the floor. You took your hat off your head and you threw yeah. it on the floor. Because <laughs> at the same time, Foxy was there. And Foxy turned the beat down. And she was like, big, this is like your hottest song on the album. Oh, and she was in the studio? She was there. It was such a... Did Foxy realize when she walked right in that this was her beat? Or no, she didn't realize I don't think right she away. realized it. Uh, you have a favorite bar on that song? I just like the whole story because it kind of cracks me up because everyone's always like, yo, who's he talking about on the record? Who's the Nick player? Do you know? Not really. I ain't asked him about it. I, <laughs> I thought about it. I said, I don't even want to know. Because <laughs> <laughs> then, then you know the secrets. Yeah, because that's what everybody want to know. For 20 years, everybody like, yo, who's the Nick player he talking about? No, but I'm going to find like, out. I'm going to ask little C's. Anthony Mason. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in? Oh no! You, he sent you the beat, right? You, he sent you the song finished. You weren't there when he recorded. No, I wasn't. I wasn't tell. there. I wanted to be there when they recorded, but Big would record sporadically, because even for him, it's like when he was doing nothing, he'd be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be in Daddy's house at two o'clock. Come mm. through if you're gonna be out." Yeah. He was that type of person. He would hit you and be like, "Yo, what you doing? Yo, bring some beats. I'm gonna be in the studio at one o'clock." Him and Pun to me was like the same person. Really? Yeah, because Pum will call me 8 o'clock in the morning and be like, yo, what you doing? Bring beats. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm about to take my daughter to school. So after you take her to school, bring me some beats. <laughs> and you know Pun, you know Pun very well. But yeah. to me, because he would ask me, I'd be like, yo, you know, both of you guys have like the same personality. Mm-hmm. Jokesters. Y'all got big hearts. And it's like, y'all, jokesters ain't the, ain't the word. Yeah. You know, I think if... If both of them was alive at the same time and could have met each other and hung out, they probably would have had a show together. Mm-hmm. Just some like some comedy shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I could have seen, I, I could I could vision that because both of them have that funny side and sometimes they both have a dark funny side also. Mm-hmm. For know? sure. <laughs> for sure. Do you remember hearing this album for the first time? After, aside from your song, of course, and hearing the, the whole body of work? I remember hearing it in spurts when he was doing it. Mm. And, you know, I know people talk about this, but for him to record without 
without writing anything. And I thought it was probably the first time I, I seen him, he was writing. Now, two albums later, which is Ready to Die and um, Conspiracy, is no pen, no nothing. He's just in the midi room, sitting in the chair just like I'm sitting now. Cocks his head back, just be shaking his head while the beat is playing. And it's like the beat isn't even all the way done. Like when he did um, Niggas Bleed, it was just a filtered loop. And this is this is why I see the genius of him because he doesn't need everything to come in when it does. Like, oh, when it's coming, I'm going to say this. He just does it. He dictates what the music is going to do. By the time I think I heard probably the eighth song, I was like, yo, I, I really think Everything isn't isn't dressed up yet, but I know this is gonna surpass the first album incredibly. Mm. You know? And you think it did? Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's so dope that he made a skipless album. Like he called himself the rap the rap Alfred Hitchcock. And it's like listening to Life After Death is like watching a movie, but you know, you're just listening to it and it's like when you hear it, it takes you through the ups takes you through the downs. It takes you through many phases and emotions on the album. Mm -hmm. I know, that's like this, the tragedy of it, right, too? It's like, I mean, it's tragedy that we lost them, but... Uh, it's a tragedy point blank, man. Because yeah, yeah. for me, I spoke to him that Friday before he died. Wow. What was and that conversation? It was just music. He was telling me how much, like, yo, telling me, like, yo, hold this for me, hold this for me. Um, you got like three beats I want for C's, three beats I want for Kim. Yo, um, um, he was saying they wanted him to go out to some parties. Like, Yo, I don't think I want to go. I just want to get on a plane, head to London. And it's like, you know, I'm going to come home with a million. He was telling me his, some of the business ventures he wanted to do, like with the big poppers. Like he wanted, um, start a clothing line, just the things, the aspirations that he wanted to do since he was in a position now. Mm -hmm. And he's not that same person who hustling on Fulton Avenue. Mm -hmm. What was Big, what did you say, one of the ideas he had or one of the things he was trying to... Big Papa's, like yeah. a burger place. Oh, oh, oh. You know, which I thought for him is a genius because he's not thinking of the typical street person. He's like, yo, you know what? I got money now, I'm becoming successful. I believe my new album would do just as well. If I'm getting a million coming from this tour, that means that it's like I can open up many businesses and invest in what I want. I can make a better life for me and my kids mm -hmm. and my crew. Let's hear an epic Biggie story from Bones Malone. I pass Big's house every day to go to the source. And one day I leave and I'm passing his house and Big is outside. Of course he is. Of course he is. He's, he's outside, but this time he got a Hawaiian shirt. He got some shorts on. Well, I think like Hawaiian shorts and, and a and a t-shirt or something like that. And he's waiting. Like he he he's standing he's standing there with his arm around the gate like this. And then uh, his other hand is behind his back. I wonder if that's him now. <laughs> but the he got his hand behind his back. And I come up to him, he got some slippers on. I'm like, yo, what's going on? Nah, you know, some dudes call my house, talk about they they coming to get me. So I'm waiting for him. And I'm like, 
you serious? And he's just looking down the block. He's not even looking at me. And I know he got the, the hammer behind him. I'm like, good Lord, this is it. So, you know, I put my bag down and I, you know, smoke a cigarette. I'm waiting with him. Whatever happens. And the whole time I'm like, oh my God, we're going to die. We're going to die because he he's now become so big. It's it's. It's a wonder that you can still live in the same block. You know, we all love you and, and the hood holds you down. But, you know, it's too many times that we've all seen in this business that you when you blow up, you got to leave. You have to leave. It's something happens when you try to stay and talk, ah, it won't, it'll never happen yeah. to me. So I'm thinking like, oh, Lord, this is it. This is what's going to come. And then the car pulls up right in front of us. And it's Junior Mafia. It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got you, nigga. They <laughs> <laughs> start laughing. I, man, I almost passed out. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, they were fucking with him. <laughs> oh, God. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you. We got another chance. That's and, funny. Uh, and he was he was pissed. He was like, yo, don't, don't be playing like that. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, see you later, man. See you later. Biggie was a beautiful human being, but human nonetheless. Bones Malone will tell you that he possessed a bright and a dark side, like on Kicking the Door, where he threw shots at the song's producer. But before DJ Premier tells you that story, Oakland OG, Too Short, speaks on what made Big beautiful. What was your relationship like with him? Talk to me about your friendship, how y'all met, how you connected. Our first connection was, um, was brief. Um, and I didn't even really realize what had took place till later, to our, to the second time we met. So the first time we met uh, was at the Outcast picnic that they used to throw annually in Atlanta. And um, I was walking around, you know, the, the environment, and a guy called me over to a limousine. Window was down. I leaned in, and he just said one thing he said. He said, yo, you got love in Brooklyn, kid, something, something like that. So Big um, was in the limo, and he, and he got it. And he just said, you got love in Brooklyn. Just left it at that. It was a handshake and a dap and kept moving. And then we 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 met back up a while later when he was actually, you know, had blown up, and he was doing a show. And the second time we met up, you know, everything had built up, and it, he was huge, yeah. instantly huge. So he said to me, you know, you know, our rappers have this thing where if we meet up and we like powwow for the first time, we we uh we pull out the weed, we smoke a little bit, and we powwow over the weed. So it was that moment on the um it was on a tour bus, you know, chopping up. He was like, Man, you remember that day in the limo at the outcast picnic? He's like, That was me. And that was like our old shit moment. We, you know, we got tight and <laughs> shit now. We had a lot of encounters after that, particularly um uh getting a call from from P Diddy about um about me being on the album. When Puff calls it's kind of like he don't really talk in questions and stuff. He's just telling you what the fuck to do. <laughs> so he's like he's like, "Yeah, get on the plane. The session's going to be here. We're going to do this and that daddy's house and and just ran it down and the shit, you know, turned out to be a classic joiner. The world is filled." So, yeah. That was the first time we um recorded a song together and you know, I mean, it's just a lot of, you know, stuff stuff going down. When I did the song with Little Kim, uh, it was called Call Me. It was for the Booty Booty Call soundtrack, the movie Booty Call. Mm -hmm. And uh, we arranged for Kim to fly down to New York, flight left at whatever time, and it was her and the manager. And 
we go to pick Kim up, but ain't no Kim. It's just Biggie. And he get off the plane like the plane she was supposed to be on. He got off and he's like, what's up, man? What's happening, man? Kim missed the flight. What's what we doing? And we just kind of, <laughs> we, we got in the car. We went to my mama's house. <laughs> we got some, uh, I had a, I had a couple of ounces of that real good Cali. We out in Atlanta. Uh-uh. I, had some, I had some good Cali. I had two ounces. I was like, fuck it, this big. I gave him one. We ate some mama's cooking. We chopped it up. Uh, Kim popped up on the, on the next flight. And it just we just always had that. You know that respect. It was like yeah. real cool. You know. So Puff calls and says, "Get you to you got to get on this joint." Tell me about that session. Tell me about that session and working working with Big and watching him in action. What that was like. Well, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't really knowledgeable about the um the technique of um I I have to interpret it how I saw it, which is I guess he kind of constructs the rhyme in his mind. It's like a paper piece of paper in his brain, and he's writing the rhyme. I'm guessing, but um, we're sitting around the room and everybody's talking and drinking and smoking and laughing and no, nobody's really working on the song. Puffy's verse is already recorded. Carl Thomas has the hook already recorded. So it's just me and Big, we got to do our parts and the song is done. So everybody's talking and shit. I ain't wrote nothing down. I, I haven't done anything. And Big is like, I'm ready. And I'm like, how the fuck is he ready? And he goes in the booth and literally he says, I'm, he announces, I'm about to do this shit in one take. And he goes in there and he kind of does it and he stops and he like running back. And the next take, he ran the whole verse in one take. And the whole fucking room is like, oh, ah, oh shit, ah, they make a noise. And I'm sitting here like, damn, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, <laughs> like, like what happens now? And I was just like stuck for a minute, like really like, like really like in one of those situations that is good for hip hop because that's what we do to each other. We like, you know, somebody get in the booth and they just put the pressure on you. And then we end up getting a really good fucking song from that pressure. So uh, I only had one homie with me that night, my boy P. And I was like, I, I, I really don't consult with people about like writing songs and shit. And I was like, P, what the fuck should I do? He just ripped that <laughs> shit. And P was like, he was like, listen to the song. He said, the, the hook says, the world is filled with pimps and hoes. I'll just tell you about those I know. And he was like, they all spitting rhymes. It's all tight, but nobody really told a story about a pimp or a hoe that they know. He said, just do what the hook says. So that's why if you listen to my verse, I'm actually telling the story that the hook is singing about. So I tell you all about a story about a pimp and a hoe, and it kind of um, it brings the song home. You know, I tell a little story in the end. And it kind of fit to, you know, to what I was supposed to bring to the table. Yeah. But it was a there was a moment there where I was like shaking in my boots a little, like, fuck, <laughs> how the fuck am I gonna just sit here on the spot and, yeah. and compete with that? We have been having these conversations about how big was with the ladies and people call him a player. He called himself a player. But with your mm-hmm. reputation and what you represent, what did how did you look at big in that way? How did that you know what I mean? What could you say about that part of him and his persona? Well, being a, a, a true player most of my adult life, um, I would have to say that his reputation on record, you know, what I do on, on record is on a song is one thing, but in real life is another thing. And I think that on record, he gave the ladies that image, like I'm a ladies man. And he made what he would call himself big, black, and ugly. He made that shit sexy for the ladies. And I think that um, in real life, that shit spilled over because I personally have witnessed 
multiple females, like super bad 10 pieces saying they wanted to fuck Biggie. And I, I, I don't know personally how much he did into that world. But I mean, if you got a girlfriend and a wife, they all in the same camp, you got side chicks, you like, that's player. Like, I don't want to put no bad energy out there, but that's kind of player though. This the story of of uh, you know what he did. I don't I don't want to be the one to name the names. Everybody know the story, but yeah, yeah. that's kind of player. That's kind of player how he was moving in between the raindrops and shit. So, you know, I I give him that 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 badge. That you give him that badge. He said in between player. the raindrops. He said player. in between yeah, you know, the raindrops. Yeah, you know, you walk in the rain and don't get wet. That's that part. <laughs> when his person, and what about his personality? Because there's other parts I think about the personality of being a player. Did you see that in Big Okay, early? so as a as a rapper, the player image he wore it well. Like he, he came in with the sweaters and shit. I mean, he said it. He said it. I remember it was. Um, I didn't even go to the event, but I think like a million motherfuckers went to Cancun or it was something somewhere, and that uh. Uh, I'm fucking you tonight came out. I'll figure like, I think it might've been Houston Super Bowl or something, something mm-hmm. I didn't go to. And it was like, they called me and they said, that's the only song they played all weekend. And it was just a fuck. And it went after that weekend, it was like the hottest shit. And I mean, just to make a song like that and for it to become a hit, I'm fucking you tonight. How much more can you say? <laughs> You didn't ask, can I have some pussy? Uh, you want to spend it night? You're like, no, hey, hey, I'm fucking you tonight. That's player. <laughs> oh, short. Oh, too short. <laughs> <laughs> now to DJ Premier for one of his B.I.G. stories. Yeah, when we did kick in the door, there was a lot of tension. Um, I came by myself purposely to not blend blend our, my, my people in. Even though we were all cool, mm-hmm. since there was tension over the one day record, Kicking the Door was the first one we did. So when we uh, when we went in, the first thing he did say is, uh, I gotta get your man though. And I was like, he said, I gotta get your man and a few other people. So first thing I'm thinking, you know, with the Nas and and because he was offended with the the little skit where uh, where they goes, uh, you, you know, saying that him having the baby on the cover of, of Ready to Die, that that he bit off of Nas's you know oh, album yeah. with the with the young face on the Elmatic. And so being at that that skit, and they're going, nigga bit off of Nas shit. So that bothered him too. Mm-hmm. So he said he was going to address quite a few people, and and so. And he says, and your man. Oh, yeah, he's I got to get your man. I say, hey, as long as we keep it wrapped, you know, it, it is what it is. It's fine. So when he got to the part where he says, son, I'm surprised you run with them. I think they have come in them because they're nothing but dicks. I stopped the tape because we're recording. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what you, that's where we going? And because and uh, uh, Puff goes, yeah, we're getting after Jay with the damage or two. Like that. I was like, that's cool. Do what you got to do. And then because I played it for Rue afterwards and, and Rue didn't even take offense to it. He's like, yo, man, that's rap. You know what I'm saying? As long as don't take, get no, no violent or anything like that, it's rap. They can say what they say. They, they're already offended by what we already dropped. So it is what it is. Let, let them have it. So, the, But are you like, are you feeling any like concern for yourself in that moment? And did he nah, treat you like that I, at all? I, I honestly, and, and you know, I'm a stand-up guy just like the rest of my team. And we weren't looking for any violence. But at the same time, I'm like... Moving on me is not going to be be smart. And I came by myself purposely to keep any of that energy blending together. So when, when that happened with doing the session, 
I just figured, you know what, if we just keep it like this and no one, you know, tries to move on me and lay a hand on me, there's not going to be any retaliation, you know, and, and that's what I was hoping would not happen, you know, because... Were you concerned at all? It was on my mind, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It was definitely on my mind, like, 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 how they going to move on me? But at the same time, I was still confident that it, it, it's not going to go that far. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the tensions is there, but... Why bring me there when we're, and we're all Brooklyn at the time, you know what I'm saying? We all know each other. We all know each other's cliques and, and, and our team was strong as well. So that, during that time, and it was no social media, none of that stuff. It was just strictly it more when I see you, we see you when we see you. And, and no one came at me like, yeah, we're going to see you. And no, no, no one even came at me like that. So, mm-hmm. which was good because that, that's, the vibe I was hoping that didn't happen, and it, and it didn't. Yeah. And that's when, in, the, in that same kick in the door session, that's when after uh, uh, Puff said we're coming after Jay with the Damager too, in the same light later on after the song was finished with the verse, he was like, yo, at least he was man enough to say my name, and I respect that man for that. And that's why I was like, yo, Puff, all right. <laughs> and I've known Puff for years anyway, so yeah. it was like, yeah, but he, he was really cool about it at the end of the day. You and know. Big must Big clearly was too. He stated he got it off. He got he to get his shit off. He stated what his plan was. Yeah, he got to get his shit off. And again, and, and it's not just us. He coming out. You coming after Nas. You coming after the Wu. You know, you you coming after a few heads in those lines. So, yeah. So it, it wasn't just a J. Rue jab. He I had a he had a couple jabs he had to throw. By this point, you may understand the genius and reach of the notorious B.I.G. But can you really grasp? just how much his music impacted the lives of his listeners. Baron Claiborne has an amazing example. Do people buy prints from you like now still? Oh yeah, people, are- especially the print of Biggie. I have a lot of other prints that people buy, but the one of Biggie is very special to people. So like I was saying, like sometimes people come and they cry in front of the print. Like I remember right, like right after Biggie had died, I got a call from a woman and she said to me, I'm not sure if you're selling the print yet, but I would like to get one for my husband because he really loves Biggie. She just knocked on my door. So she bought the print. I got it printed. And then she said, oh, he would come and he would pick it up. So he came, he knocked on the door. He got out of a limo like a Wall Street dude, but, you know, like a Wall Street dude with an $8,000 suit on. (laughs) And, you know, young dude, I think he was from like Connecticut or something. So he comes and I lay the print out on the big table and I weigh it down so he can see it. And the dude just starts crying like I'm like in the back doing something and I hear him crying out in the front. And then I went out and I asked him, like, what's wrong? He was like, oh, I'm happy. But, you know, he just he was like, look, this dude meant so much to me. Like he was like, I was like nowhere. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to. I was real. I was had no money, nothing. And then he was like, "Yeah, well, I listened to his album, and something about it was like, just activated me to be a man." He was like, the, "To him, the album was like, dude, you gotta grow up. You gotta be a man. You need to, you know, find out what you want to do, make your fortune, and everything." And he told me that album turned his life around. Wow. Yeah, and that he wanted the print. He was putting the print in the center of his house, no matter what anyone said. I used to kind of think it was funny. But then after a while, I took it seriously. You're standing with a person who's crying and telling you that this dude made such a difference in their life through just his music. It's pretty, you know, I'm kind of cynical sometimes, but I used to, but then after a while, like you have to respect because it's so many different kinds of people. It's amazing the impact that a person makes. Like a lot of people, they're individual heroes who help them get, it's amazing. People have no idea what impact they have 
on other people, how much you inspired somebody because they saw you one day, like, or they listened to your music and you said something that lifted them up and stuff. I mean, I met people who talked about they wanted to kill themselves and then they heard Biggie's music and it was like, they, they were like, oh, I gotta get up, I gotta be a man. Like, it's, it amazes me how music has a huge effect on people, but also the person producing the music also has a huge effect on people. And a lot of things are symbolic. That's why you have photography and drawing, because it's to draw out the things that you don't notice about the person. I love that people are still have those stories to tell. Oh yeah, people yeah. are. I don't think people have changed that much. Technology has changed. Mm -hmm. People are the same. No one has more B.I.G. stories than the Jimmy Jump to Biggie's Frank White. That would be Little C's. Big Papa's right hand remembers everything from crippling Big to his best friend giving him the silent treatment over some personal pornography. I'm gonna let him explain that. Give me some of your favorite, like, Lil C's mentions in big songs. Oh, my favorite mentions? Uh, yeah, of your name in the songs. I was shot out a bunch of times. My man showed me wild love. That's Let's run down was. through some of them. Let's run through some of those. Uh, I'll probably say the uh, fucking you and I joint was like C's, so C's no, all his hoes go to my dough. And they go to his flow to fuck some more. <laughs> Why is that your favorite? Because <laughs> that was really like a side, you know. That was like our model. We we just like, we we partied, we shared, we, that was our thing. That was our, our hey, you got something tonight? We good? We straight? And, you know, I had to be the culprit and just like the, the bad guy shit. Like the, and I was the youngest of everybody. I mean, that's just what it was. Many people talk about him of the juggling of the women. I was Kim around all of them. I, 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 had to be cool. I had to be cool with every last one of them. How did you do that? The way he taught me. <laughs> <laughs> that's my girl. That's my wife. That's the... All right, cool. And I had to be that. And, uh, you know, with all due respect, every last one of them respected me for my position. You know, Big had this thing called PYP, play your position. Of, and your position of power, you know, like, you know. So everybody knew where my ground stood. I was loyal to him before anything. In that line, he says, you know, Lil C's crippled me. Yeah. How did you take that line when you first heard it? I was mad. You were? Yeah. I was upset. I wasn't mad. I was upset because I didn't want him to blow that. Like, why would you want to do that to me, dog? But that was a real situation that happened. And he didn't say it in no way. He was just like, look. You don't even know what I'm doing for you with that. You know what I mean? Like at first I was like, yo, come on. Like, why you gonna do that, bro? That's something that was, and I ain't said to him like that, but I, you know, at one time his leg was actually cool and I said to him like, yo, you gonna do me like that? He was like, watch that. That's gonna, you don't even know what that's gonna do for you. His thing was always like, relax. Relax, little bro. Every time I mention you, you don't even know what's happening. Mm. I ain't want him to tell that because that was actually a real situation. You know, I felt the way about that because that was something that really happened. I felt bad because his leg was really fucked up. You know what I mean? Like he really fucked this shit up, but he knew that wasn't my fault. He knew that was something that, you know, it wasn't meant to be. And I was in the predicament that he shouldn't, have, you know, I shouldn't have been in. I was, I was a kid. I was 16 driving and that's how it happened. What happened exactly? We was actually driving from getting a, a loaner's car because we got arrested the day before that, me and him. 
And nobody know that because we got arrested for some corny shit. It was no records. You can't punch it up or nothing. We got arrested for smoking weed downtown. Mm. They took us and to a He's like big? Set. He's like big already. Yeah, he's big. That's why he locked us up because we was actually sitting downtown Brooklyn, like downtown in the shopping area. And we were smoking the blunt in the car while one of my homeboys was going to get some sneakers from Dr. J's. And some corny ass cops pulled up and we were smoking the blunt. Big put it out. He threw us out the whip arrested us and took us to a precinct for like three hours. When we got our car back, the car didn't work. We had to call Un, and Un went and picked us up and took us home. The next day, we went to the dealership that he bought the car from and got a loan this car. Like we had a Lexus Land Cruiser. Frank was playing a couple of Lexus Lands together. Yeah, we were driving the big shit. They took the car. So now we go to the dealership and uh, I love when I, you do that, by the way, when you give us the lyric with the story. Cause yeah, it, yeah, I, you can never shit. hear it. Yeah, yeah, we had the gold Lexus land. Yeah, yeah, we had, before they switched up the whole trucks with the land cruisers, mm -hmm. we had the Lexus land cruiser shit. We had the big shit. We ride. The car didn't work. So when we got out, Un came and got us from the precinct. The car didn't work. Un took us back to Jersey. We woke up the next morning. And Big went, called his dealership guy, and was like, he's like, yo, come pick up a car. Get along this car. Come there. So we go to Jersey. We go pick up the car, and they give us a Lumina van. I swear to God, I'll never forget a Lumina van. When we get to the dealership, he's like, yo, this what y'all gonna go home with. And I was like, yo, B.I., he gave you a Lexus truck. What we doing with a Lumina van? <laughs> and Big was like, little bruh. We gonna ride low key for a while. Like, he just felt like it was just too much shit going on. He's like, yo, nah, we gonna chill. We gonna ride in that. And I was like, you sure? <laughs> we jump in the car and I'm driving. Big didn't know how to drive. He had no license. Never he knew how to drive. He don't know how to drive. He never been behind the wheel before. Never. I'm driving. Well, 16 years old. Right, I'm gonna jump in the whip. And we drive like about two minutes. And the dealer, the dealer that he used to deal with, the one that came in and he used to buy all his cars from, mm -hmm. I ran to the back of him with that Lumina van because the brakes was messed up on the car already. So I already crashed into him before I even got out of there. And nobody know about this. I never told nobody about this. I already hit the back of his car as soon as I was pulling out there when they gave us the van. I was like, yo, bro, pop him. The shit fucked up. He was like, yo, just drive. That's all he said to me, just drive. You see, when you watch the movie, he was like, yo, just drive. That's actually something that happened. I'm like, yo, bro, these brakes is fucked up, bro. He like, just drive. Drive the car. And I went and got on that exit. We crashed into a rail. And that's how me and him got into the accident. And he broke his He broke his femur? Leg. They said you hide your plane in the car, right? Huh? Like the car slid on the it on the slid, yeah, it slid. We slid to the opposite side of the road and we ran to the road. Wow. And my you, face is the steering wheel because I was driving. Were you freaking out? Were you like? Oh yeah, I was scared to death. Sixteen. What was Big doing? Nothing. He sat there. I was just like, yo, I can't move. Cause he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't shift off the car cause his leg was, uh, his leg then got jammed up in there. So he couldn't really move. He was just like, yo, he wasn't in pain. He was like, yo, I, I can't feel this shit, dog, back up. 
Now I'm leaking from my mouth. Because my face is a stand, bro. And we just sitting there, and I hop out, and he like, yo, I'm like, yo, I'm trying to open the door for him. He's like, yo, I can't get out. I can't move my leg. Couldn't move his leg. So scary. You know, he was just like, all right, nah, just wait, little bro, wait. And you know, of course, you know, we on the highway, we on the turnpike, you know what I mean? So eventually, somebody circled around, and you know what I mean? Like, shit happened. And once they see who it was, like. They knew it was him right away? It's the biggest nigga in rap at that time. He's the biggest shit. And I was the shit too. He's like, yeah, both of y'all jammed up over here. Charlie Baltimore was with us too. Mm. She was with us in the back of the car. You know what I mean? Her face, she she went through the front window too. She went out the car? No, not out the car, but mm. when the, when I crashed, you know, she ain't had no seatbelt on. We was in the aluminum van. We was in the van. Got it. Yeah, you know what I mean? It. Like, so yeah, her just sitting in the back in the middle. The minute we, you don't know no impact, she boom. It was just like a lot of, you know, it was it was bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was some shit that, you know, I didn't know that was going to happen. He never hold me accountable for that, but. He did say you crippled him. But after that, bro, I had to live with that one. You get what I'm saying? So that, that's how that whole verse came. Yeah, because. No, that's how that happened. Were you though, worried man. that you actually crippled him? Were you worried that he would like never rebound from that? I knew he was going. I knew he was going to rap about it. This is what he was going to do already. Yeah. But he made me feel secure already from the rip. Like, yo, little bro, that wasn't your fault. You know, like that's not true. But hey, <laughs> we're gonna talk about this shit. It's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a bar. Yeah, it's gonna. Yeah, it's gonna be that. But no, did that ever stop him from dealing with me or fucking with me? He knew he could be like that with me. I didn't trip about there that. There was yeah. no time ever in your lives that, that y'all fell out over something or? Hell yeah. I I can't talk about that one. Come on, thing. C's. No, I'm not. There it is. There Listen, it is. man, C's, C's got some motherfucking like that. I can't. It just. Tell me one time he got mad at you. <laughs> The stains involved in this, so you know. I told you I come through for them. All right. So one time, right? <laughs> I'm telling you a real story, Angie. And, okay. and I fuck with you too. You know, you're my partner in crime. <laughs> so when we was in LA the whole time before he got killed. Um I'm not really I never told this story, right? And um I had a bag in my had a bag in his room with like a bunch of shit in it. You know, personal shit that we had. You know, no corny shit, you know, like no weirdo shit. Charlie Baltimore was coming to see him. This is when him and Faith had split up already. Mm -hmm. And like, he had some pictures of him, you know, <laughs> us having some fun. And he always kept telling me, yo, take this bag out of my room and take it to your room. And I always just stalled on it, you know. I'm a young nigga, dog, 14, 15. Irresponsible. Know. I'll take it tomorrow, Bia. All right, cool. Yo, she be here in two days. Got you, my nigga. I'll take it. And then one day, I didn't take it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one day, Rock knocked on my door next morning. He was like, yo, come on. We was at the Four Seasons Hotel in LA on La Cienica. And uh, he was like, yo, I got to get you out of here. I was like, what's up? He was like, yo, Big already checked out of here. 
Charlie Baltimore that wrecked the room. I was like, wrecked the room for what? He was like, yo, you ain't take that bag out the room. That big told you to take the bag out the room. I was like, oh, shit. See, he'd been telling me for four days to take out the room. Huh? I didn't take it. He was like, yeah, she went to the bag. She saw shit in there. She threw shit out the window. And I, I and I went to see Big after that. We was at the Omni Hotel. Right? <laughs> 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 we at the Omni. Totally, totally different from the Four Seasons, right? It, the Four Seasons was big ass steaks, nigga, super lit shit, right? Now we at the Omni downtown, nigga, shit crazy. Now going to room, Big is no shirt on, no socks. He's barefoot. You know, titties hanging, and all that. <laughs> Come in the room, he like, yo, didn't I tell you to take that bag out the room? And I was like, damn, bro, my bad, I slipped. He was like, yo, didn't I tell you that, though? Like, why you don't listen? And I was like, well, why she went through my bag? He said, well, why you left the bag in there when I told you to get the bag out of there four days ago? <laughs> I had nothing to say. This is when you're in L.A.? First time he ever threatened me to send me home. First time he ever was like, yo, you going home? Did he send you home? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no, he didn't. I was his heart. That's what he called me. I was his heart. But I had to learn that way. You know, you go through some, nah. Faith bought that nigga like a $12,000 ring at that time, and Charlie threw that shit out the window. So I, had to be, I was in the four season, the bushes like this, looking for shit over there. Did you think you were gonna get sent home? No, nah, D-Rock, when D-Rock first came and got me out of my room, he was like, yo, he mad at you, though. He want to see you home. But he ain't going to see you home. So for two days, he ain't speak to me. For two days, we ain't speak. He brought up his own weed. <laughs> he, did. he went, he, he did all his own shit. This is why they were shooting the hypnotized video. So the day they drove around in that car for two hours with him and Puff was like taping all the shit, they riding around the car, you know, you the see all that shit, yeah, yeah, all that. They was together for two hours because they got all that footage and shit. And when Big came back, he was walking with no cane. He had his shirt wide open, like, yeah. He came to me and gave me a jaw of weed. He was like, roll up, nigga. <laughs> and you was back. <laughs> and just like that, you back. I was like, all right, we cool? He was like, we're good. Nobody stupid, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nobody gonna be like, you know what? Let me just test Big's gangster real quick. You know, that night I almost got in the car with them because at the time I wasn't driving. But I'm saying that to say that was my last time that I saw Big. 